Yeah, I, uh, I felt that this morning. I'm talking about worry, and I was thinking, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I should wear a jersey, and of course, all my jerseys are of the greatest team that ever existed, even though they happen to be horrible at the moment. <clears throat> and so I, I had this moment where I was like, oh, I can't wear a jersey and preach. Someone will not come back or will judge me. And then I was like, wait, I'm talking about worry today, and I'm processing being too worried to show up in church in my 49er jersey. And so I was like, nope, I just got to do it. That's confirmation. So I'm going to try to live this message today. Um, and I also recognize that most of you are not offended by the Niners because we are awful. And so <laughs> since we're awful, it doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. Someday when we're good again, as long as that happens in my lifetime, it'll be a little more risky uh, to rock the Niners gear on a Sunday. <clears throat> but it's the Super Bowl, so we're having fun. It is funny, though, because after I grabbed the jersey and put it on, I looked out the window and it was snowing. And then the next level of worry was like, oh, is it? You know, are we going to be able to have church? And, and it's funny that when you're thinking about what the Lord's doing in your heart, in your life, and you're about to share, it just, you get challenged in that over and over and over again. And so, oh, I need to dismiss the middle school. Did I do that? Middle school, you guys are gone. Psh, go ahead. Um, do that. You guys bounce without me dismissing you anyways, which is great. Um, so, so we're launching into a new series this week, and, and uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through some of the things that Jesus said in the Gospels not to do. There are a few times in the scriptures where Jesus was like, hey, don't do that. Hey, hey, knock it off. Hey, you guys, uh, don't do that. And the few times that he did that, I think we should probably pay a little bit of attention to what he was talking about and why he would have said that. And so we're going to walk through some of the do nots of the gospels in the next several weeks. And so I'm going to open with a specific do not. And uh, this is a do not that Jesus said about four times in one message. And so when he says, when he repeats himself four times, he's probably trying to get a point across to you and me. And he says, don't worry. So in Matthew chapter 6, which is the uh, probably greatest sermon, 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew that's ever um, been written till this point. Um, just kidding. <laughs> Man, there was crickets out there. Nobody was with me on that. That's awesome. Um, ever, been, ever been spoken, ever been written, uh, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus uh, lands the plane on this particular sermon in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 31. He says something phenomenal. He says, he says, hey, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Check this out. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for caring enough about us to uh, give us some parameters so that we can live in the freedom that you provide. And I just pray this morning as we talk about worry, would you open our eyes, soften our hearts, and prepare us uh, to just understand and comprehend that you want something more for us. And that's why you uh, correctively warn us. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Worry is a fascinating, fascinating thing. I was thinking about so many times in my life. Now, listen, I'm pretty good at worrying. I don't know about you. Where's my, where's my expert worriers at? Do I have some expert worriers out there? Yeah, right? If worrying, if I could find a way to capitalize worrying, I could, I, I would, I could make some money, right? I, if you're like, hey, you don't want to worry, I'll worry double for you. You tell me the situation, I'm like a professional worrier. I will think through all of the angles. I will stress out about it for you. I enjoy, I don't enjoy, but somehow I must enjoy it in some sick way because I find myself constantly drawn to worry. And uh, those of you who have that gift like me, it's like I have the gift of worry. What is this deal with worry? And sometimes we worry because things are really big and important. I remember when we went to plant the church in Oregon, and I shared some of this before, but we loaded up the truck. We had two U-Haul trucks filled with stuff, and it was snowing like it's snowing in Spokane right now. It was snowing just gangbusters. It was snowing like crazy. It snowed a foot while we load the truck. 
right? I had a youth group girl, bless her heart, she was amazing. She came and for eight hours, she ran a shovel up and down the ramp of the truck, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth so we could load the truck for eight hours in the snow. It was just dumping and dumping and dumping. And we loaded the trucks. And here's the thing. When we sold the house, loaded the trucks, we had a place where we were gonna go and live as we got ready to plant the church. But while we were in that process of tearing the house down to load the truck, we got a phone call and we're told we couldn't have that place anymore. Now, here's the thing. I got a two-year-old. I got a house that I've sold. I've rented some trucks. I think I'm moving, but they don't know we're coming. (laughs) You want to talk about some worry. And you start feeling all of the things that come into place, the fear, the questions. Did I really hear from God? Am Am I crazy? Who would move? I've got two u haul trucks and no place to go. And we packed it all up. And we get a phone call from someone we don't even know. Hey, heard you're looking for a place. And here comes Jesus to the rescue. Send us to this shack. <laughs> but it was amazing. But you just never know. But we all worry. And here's, here's the thing. We worry because things are important. If they weren't important, we wouldn't worry. We wouldn't worry. I was looking for some stats on worrying. And uh, I'm a little worried that these stats are made up. But I found them somewhere else. I didn't make them up. And so I'll give them to you. <laughs> but it was quoted source unknown. So I was like, oh. Here we go. But here's, here's the statistics I found on worrying. See if this doesn't move you. When it comes to worrying, 40% of the things we worry about are things that never happen. See if that plays out true in your life. 40% of the things that you worry about, you're worried about them, but they never even happen. 30% of the things that we worry about are things that we can't change. We're worried about it, but we have no ability to change the thing that we're worried about. We have no control. We're, we're just a passive observer of the situation, but we're worried even though we don't have control. <laughs> 12% of the things are criticism by others that generate worry. Someone deposited worry in you. Said, you'll never get that done. You're not good enough, whatever it is. Most of the time, that criticism isn't even true but somebody else dumped it off on us and now we're worrying. (laughs) 10% of the things we worry about are health related. Even though we know that worrying is bad for our health and generally exaggerates whatever the thing is that we're worried about. You add stress on top of it, but we worry. And then approximately 8% are real problems that we'll actually face. In the giant bucket of worry that you have in your life, essentially less than 10% of it are things you'll actually have to walk through. But everyone worries. Why? Because things are important. Think for a moment about some of the things that you worry about. People worry about things like health, finances, security, relationships, work, family, I'm going to give you just a second and just put together your top three list of things you're worried about right now. Go ahead. I'll give you a second. Just process things you're worried about right now. Thinking about the things that you're worried about. And then i got to give you a little truth here. See, there's a difference between the emotion of worry and the decision to worry. There's a difference between the feeling of worry and the decision to worry. Here's how I know there's a difference between feelings and decisions. Because feelings, I'm going to say this and you've got to stay with me. Feelings oftentimes are real, but they're not necessarily true. Right? Feelings are real, but they're not necessarily true. So Sylvia, you could feel like I don't like you. And now that's real because you have all of the emotions that are tied to feeling that way. That doesn't mean it's true. I love you. But you, now that you feel that way, you have to deal with all of the weight of that. So the feeling of worry is something that we're going to encounter no matter what. Our reaction and how we process that and when we apply truth to that will determine our choice if we choose to live in worry. That's why four times in one sermon, his greatest sermon, Jesus says, hey, don't do that. That thing you're doing, when you took the thing that started as a feeling and now you started applying it like it was true to your life and now it's dominating and controlling things of your life, don't do that. Here's the problem. If you define worry 
Just go to the dictionary and it says, hey, worry is you torment yourself with disturbing thoughts. What a true and, and great picture of worry. Worry is I torment myself with disturbing thoughts. And Jesus is like, hey, knock it off. That's a bad choice. That's a bad use of your energy, your heart, and your mind. Why? Because disturbing thoughts have potential to create disturbing actions in your life. We talked about this a little bit last, last week um, from Proverbs chapter 4. I'll begin in verse 21. But don't ever forget my words, Solomon says. Keep them always in your mind. He's concerned about your mind. They're the key to life for those who find them. They bring health to your whole body, verse 23. So be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. You got to be careful what you think. And worry is bringing thoughts into your life that torment you and try to lead you to behavior. See the psychology, what's going on there? So here's the enemy trying to say, if I can get you worried, if I can get you to self-torment in your mind, then the behavior that comes out of you will control and manipulate your life. It's powerful. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. See, worry is being consumed with what and forgetting who. That's why I love when Jesus says, don't worry. He's, he reminds us, hey, your heavenly father knows what you need. Don't, don't forget. Don't forget in the midst of your worry, when you're worried about clothes, when you're worried about food, when you're worried about provision, when you're worried about those things, don't forget that your heavenly father knows what you need. So then I find myself in this tension between wisdom and worry. Because I like to look at my worries and convince myself that I'm just being wise. I'm just thinking through all the possible scenarios so that I'm prepared for any bad thing that might happen. I'm just trying to think through it, right? I'm just being wise, so just in case a meteor hits, what am I gonna do? Just in case the zombies attack, just in case, right? <laughs> You're laughing at me, but some of you have got a plan. <laughs> just in case, <laughs> right? So there's this tension. When am I just being wise? When am I planning? When am I creating strategies that are healthy and I'm stewarding the resources and time and energy of my life? And when am I just worrying? What's the difference? Well, let me just take you to the regular old dictionary and let's define, uh, I went to define worry and I went to the antonyms. Antonyms are the opposites. And here's the thing. If you've chosen worry, then you've laid aside these things because they are antithetical. They're their opposite of worry. You can't have both things in the same place. So if the way that you're thinking that you think is wisdom is leading to you not having calmness, then you're worrying it's not wisdom. If it's leading to you not having certainty, then you're worrying it's not wisdom. If you have lost your cheer, come on now. You've been around somebody. You've been around that worry person. If you are that worry person, don't look up. Just keep your head down. You've been around that worry person, and you love them, and you get around them, and all of a sudden, the cheer level just goes, right? You're like, oh, I love you, but don't talk. Because whatever comes out of you is just going to take this whole cheer out of the room. Why? Because they're consumed. They've been worrying. It removes comfort. Ever just getting uncomfortable? Just uncomfortable. Thinking about all things. I can't sleep, right? Tossing and turning. I'm not sure about that thing. Did I sign that thing I said I was supposed to? Did I send the thing? Did I do the thing? Did I, what's going on? And you're just, oh, worry. How are we going to make this end meet? How are we going to do this? Or what am I going to do this relationship? And you're just, oh, you're uncomfortable. Want to know if it's wisdom or worry? Are you comfortable? Where's your confidence? Where's your confidence? Oh, this is never going to work. I'll take a swing, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to work out. It's not going to go well. <laughs> if you start imagining a conversation in your head with someone, and one of the first things that comes through is, this is not going to go well, right? You've moved from wisdom to worry. You've moved from wisdom to worry. Happiness and joy. Again, you want to steal your joy? Wouldn't the enemy just love to steal your joy? Just love to knock out your happiness? send you through life with a little cloud like a Charlie Brown character over your head. Trust, 
contentment. You want to know someone who's not ever at peace? They could start a, they could start a list, check off everything off that list, and at the end they're like, oh, I should have wrote more things on my list. <laughs> You're like, what? You can't enjoy life at all. Why? Worries come in, capture them. Peace, reassurance. When those things aren't present, you've moved into worry. Now, here's the thing that blew me away. As I started looking at this list, I was like, uh-oh. There's a lot of words on this list from this list, Galatians chapter 5. There's a lot of words on this list from Galatians chapter 5 that says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. Here's the dilemma, folks. All of the evidence of the presence of the Spirit of God in your life you can't have that evidence if worry is dominating your life. I'm just doing math for you right now. This is basic math. A negative plus a negative plus a negative is not equal to positive. Maybe, I don't know. I went to Bible college. I didn't take a math class since like 11th grade. <laughs> What's going on here? What's going on here? is a very clear picture. So why is Jesus concerned that we don't get consumed with worry? Why is he saying you're not gonna add anything to your life? Because he knows you're gonna steal something from your life if you worry, if you're stuck and consumed with worry. So I started pressing into the scriptures because I was like, I need a, just an example, Lord. Just paint me a picture of how to live this out. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open to uh, 2 Chronicles, and I'm gonna be in uh, chapter 20. And I'm gonna tell you this story of a guy whose name I really like, and I picked him just because I wanted to say his name over and over again. But his name is Jehoshaphat. Like, jump in Jehoshaphat. I'm not sure where that came from. I'm sure it came from him, because I don't know if anyone was named Jehoshaphat earlier than him. But, uh, <laughs> but Jehoshaphat, and uh, I, I'm gonna tell you a story about him, and then I'm gonna take you into his story, and then he's gonna give us some keys on how to deal with worry. Now, Jehoshaphat is, is a great character. At the age of 35, he becomes the king of Judah, which is the southern half of the kingdom. So essentially what has happened at this point is Israel and Judah have split off into two kingdoms. The nation, God's people are divided. Ever seen some division in a nation before? You know how hostile things can get quick? People who used to love each other start hating each other and going to war. People who used to be family start treating each other like enemies. People start making justifications for behaving wickedly towards one another who they used to, come on now. The nation's divided and there's two kings and one of them is Jehoshaphat. And the other one in the northern kingdom is a guy named Ahab. Now, some of you are familiar with Ahab's name because he comes up in all kinds of bad stories. He's, uh, he's like a famous, uh, a famous swing and a miss guy. He was married to someone who's also famous, Jezebel. And Jehoshaphat, or Jehoshaphat, he comes to power at age 35, and here's his thing. He loves the Lord, but his trust level is not that high. He's a strategist. He's got skills. He's one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history. But what he realizes is I want to make as many strategic alliances as possible because I'm worried that in this climate of division, we're too vulnerable. So Ahab, being the knucklehead that he is in the northern kingdom, totally rebelling from God, totally worshiping other gods, and totally going to war and starting stuff with other nations. He starts a fight he can't win. So he goes to Jehoshaphat. This is about chapter 17. You can follow it along at some point. He goes to Jehoshaphat, and they make a deal. See, Jehoshaphat's been fortifying cities. That's his plan. He's like, I'm going to fortify cities. I'm going to get fighting men. I'm going to make sure that we're okay, right, because the zombies are coming. <laughs> and here comes Ahab, and Ahab's like, hey, we should team up so that I can win this battle that I'm going to lose because I picked a fight, and now I'm in trouble. And Jehoshaphat goes, ah, strategic alliance. Here's what we'll do. We'll create permission for our families to marry again and kind of start gelling things between the nations so we can kind of get peace. And I'll help you win this fight. And Ahab's like, sweet. But Jehoshaphat loves the Lord. And he's like, okay, before we do that, we got to call the prophets in and make sure God's with us because we're not going to fight without the prophets saying it's okay. So Ahab calls in his prophets and they're like, yeah, go do what you want. And Jehoshaphat's like, no, 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 your prophets are just crazy. 
We need a prophet of the Lord, not just someone who wears the title and says whatever they, you want to hear. So they find a prophet of the Lord, and the prophet of the Lord's like, uh-uh, don't do that. So Ahab, being the wheel and dealer, tells Jehoshaphat, listen, here's our plan. We're not going to win if I lead this battle. So you lead this battle because God will be with you and we'll win. What Ahab knows, this is a great story. Ahab knows that the enemy only wants to kill Ahab. They hate that guy. He's a jerk. So he's like, I'll stay out of the battle and you lead the fight. But make sure you wear your kingly robes so that God knows that this is the team that needs to win. But in his mind, he's thinking they'll try to kill you. And then once they kill you, they'll think they killed me and then we'll be safe. You see what happens when we start trying to deal with things in our own strategies and our own skills? We start aligning ourselves because we think, well, I'm good enough. I got this. I'll align myself with this strategy so I can win. So Jehoshaphat tries that, goes out to battle. It doesn't go well. He actually cries out to the Lord in the middle of the battle. And the enemy is so confused because they're like, Ahab would never cry out to the Lord. That must not be Ahab. They let him go. They're like, we don't want to kill you. We're not even interested in you. And then someone fires an arrow and kills Ahab like randomly, but not randomly because you know how God works. And that's the end of Ahab. And so, so Jehoshaphat's learned his lesson. He's like, ah, oh, that didn't work out so well. So we fast forward to chapter 20. Now in chapter 20, three armies start moving in on Judah. Now, here's something you got to know about Judah. The name Judah, the word Judah means praise. And so when God separated out, come on now, the praise from the rest of the nation, he intended to have Jehoshaphat lead the people and protect the praise and adoration of God. So there's the southern kingdom being protected. And then all of a sudden, in marches these three armies who have now teamed up because the, everything's weak. The nation's divided so they can move in for the kill. And these three armies that move in, I'm in chapter 20, verse 1, are the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Meunites, then the Mosquito Bites. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just couldn't resist. Um, <laughs> the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Meunites, right? Now, this is important. The Moabites and the Ammonites were a very specific people to the Jews, to this to this tribe of Judah. When they moved into the promised land after Moses got them out and Joshua came in and they went in and attacked and they, they secured the land, they were told by the Lord specifically, don't mess with the Ammonites and don't mess with the Moabites. And there's a reason why they don't mess with them. Number one, God didn't want to give them their territory. It wasn't part of the Holy Land. It's not where he wanted them to be. Secondly, though, where he didn't want is the Ammonites and the Moabites are related. They're related to Judah, they're related to Israel. They're related because they are from the offspring of Lot, Abraham and Lot. So Lot has this epic moment. If you don't know who Lot is, um, he had some fun story. He had a wife. She got a little salty. It didn't work out. And so, so <laughs> sorry. This, if you know, then you know. If you don't, just Google Lot, wife, salty. It's funny. All right. <laughs> So after that, Lot's line's in danger because there's no kids. And so he's got two daughters. He needs some boys. The daughters get him drunk and they have kids. So some sin gets into the camp, not God's plan. But out of that, you get the Moabites and the Ammonites. And they're like cousins with the Israelites. Got that? So they don't mess with them. But now here come the Moabites and the Ammonites in to invade the Israelites, along with the Mayunites. Now, the Mayunites, they're an interesting group because there's all kinds of argument about where they are. But we know they're from Mount Seir, which is the area where the Edomites were. Now, I'm giving you a lot of ites. The Edomites, they're important because they are the descendants of Esau. So Jacob and Esau, right? They were Isaac's kid, and, and Jacob was sneaky, and he got the blessing. And he told Esau, Esau was crazy and a hungry guy. And when he, in one moment of extreme hunger, he's like, I want that soup. And, and he's like, give me your birthright. And he's like, yeah, fine. Just give me the soup. I'm going to die if I don't eat soup right now, right? So here's, here's the Edomites, which is also their family, who also represents in their past, come on now, when they hungered after things that weren't the Lord, and they wanted to feed their flesh and not get their blessing, so you got a picture here. Let me paint this picture for you. you got the people of God who represent his praise. And you've got the past, the sin of their past, 
sexual sin and identity sin and feeding their flesh instead of trusting God. All, okay. Now, how many of you know that every once in a while, even though you're trying to rest in God's praise, the past is gonna try to come after you. And if there's history there, you're gonna have to face that history at some point. And the ally of that history is God's praise. Ooh, I think that might've got past you a little bit. I gave you a lot right there to get there. So, so, so you go back and listen to the podcast on that one and see if that thing doesn't move you the second time through. All right. <laughs> oh, I'm just preaching at you guys today. You guys doing all right? I'm only in verse one, so I'm gonna get going. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Mayunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Verse two, some of the men came and Jehold Jehoshaphat. A vast army is coming against you from Edom. See, that's the Edomites, the Mayunites, they were all in there. From the other side of the sea, and it's already in Hazazon Tamar, and that is in Gedi. Verse three, alarmed. Yeah, three armies are coming to destroy you. That would alarm me. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and listen to what he does. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Now, this is fascinating. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Why? Because here's the thing. In comes the thing that I'm worried about. I've been fortifying cities. I've been building ships. I've been making alliances. I've been doing everything in my flesh to avoid this thing, a big army coming against me to wipe me out. I've been doing all the things I know how to do and everything I've tried to do has failed. My ships got wiped out. My, my alliances got wiped out. My fortified cities cannot sustain a battle against three armies. So what am I gonna do now? And it says, he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Now, we don't talk about fasting too much. As you can tell, I'm pro. <laughs> fasting is when we deny our flesh, especially food. Okay, and for a season so that we can hear from God. We can remove distractions so that we can begin to place ourselves in a position where we demonstrate our dependency on God and then God shows up. That's what fasting does. And so he proclaims a fast for all of Judah. Here's what's amazing to me about this passage is here comes worry. And in the midst of worry, Jehoshaphat's reaction is instead of protecting my, my flesh, instead of feeding my flesh, I'm gonna deny my flesh. And here's what's true about us today. When we get worried, we don't deny our flesh, right? Our reaction is what? How, where's my worry eaters at, right? We eat extra, we, right? right? Where's my worry drinkers at? Don't raise your hand, right? I'm worried. I need to drink some more, right? Where's my worry medicators at? Oh, I need my medication, right? Where's my worry? We worry, and then we go ahead, and instead of denying our flesh, we indulge our flesh. We take ourselves to a position where we feel less dependent, where we feel less exposed. We try to, you know, we, we, we start worrying, and we need to sit in a hot tub. We need to get a massage. We need some, you know, dessert. That's how we respond to worry. That's not what Jehoshaphat modeled for us. He says, you find yourself in a tough situation, your first step should be start denying you. See, he tried the other way. He tried working on his own. He tried networking and building a, a system that couldn't fail, and it failed on him. And as a matter of fact, they put him in the front and tried to kill him. So he said, that didn't work. So he calls everyone together, all of Judah. He's like, hey, we're in this together. I go down, we're all going down. They're gonna just raid the city and we're gonna be done. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start by denying our flesh. Denying our flesh. Verse four. The people of Judah came together. Some of you are angry on that one. Let me let that sit in for a second. The people of Judah came together. The people came together. And what did they do? To seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, and listen, he's about to pray. But what does he do? He says, listen, nobody eats, everybody shows up, right? Deny your flesh. I know worry has kept in. I know the enemy's at the gate. I know we're afraid. Stop trying to escape this by self-medicating and show up and we're all gonna get together as one and we're gonna pray. He gets up, verse six, and he says, O Lord, God of our fathers, 
Are you not the God who's in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary in your name, saying, if calamity comes, see, calamity just came, Upon us, whether with sword or judgment or plague or famine, we'll stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. And you will hear us and save us. He takes everybody and says, hey, we're gonna pray. <laughs> and when we pray, we're gonna pray real stuff. We're gonna get honest. God, you're in control. You brought us here. This is our safe place. We need your help. Verse 10, but now here are these men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you didn't allow Israel to invade when they came out of Egypt. So they turned away from them and wouldn't destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive out the possession you gave to us as an inheritance? Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. If you just learn that little rhyme, you might have a key somehow to deal with some worry in your life. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are where? Upon you. And I love this. Some point, you get hungry enough, you're gonna realize you don't have a lot of power. Right? <laughs> you get hungry enough. When you're full, you feel like you got some power. When you're making deals and you're making moves, when your bank account's starving, you don't feel like you got a lot of power. When that thing's flush, I got options. I got options. When my strength is full, man, I'll bring it on. When I'm weak, I don't know. I need God's help. Then look at verse 13. This is fascinating. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. I love that. He prays and he just leaves them there. Just stand here presence of God. Here's the first key to dealing with worry. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Our problem is when we're worried, we want to make moves. I got to make moves. I got to, I got to try things. I got to put some irons in the fire. I got, to, I got to put feelers out. I got to do stuff. Jehoshaphat's, ah, 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 ah. That worry creeps in at this level. Wait on the Lord. How do we wait on the Lord? Well, he gives us some ways. First way he says is Fast. Deny your flesh. Take some time, process, and deny your flesh. Second way he says is, hey, pray. Start talking to God. Here's the thing. If worrying doesn't drive you to prayer, then you don't pray at all. Just saying. Maybe for dinner. But if when you're worried, you don't start talking to God, I don't know when you're praying. And Jehoshaphat's like, listen. We're gonna remember, we're not gonna make an alliance until we talk to God. We're not gonna make a strategy until we talk to God. We're not gonna make a plan until we talk to God. What's the last thing he says? And be still. Yeah, he's like, you just hang out. You knock it off. Stop trying to make moves. You wait patiently and trust God. Take some time, stop moving. This is a faith piece. This is hard. It's hard in the middle of your worry storm to be still. But look at how God responds. Verse 14. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite, that's what we're looking for, and a descendant of Asaph as he stood in the assembly. The spirit of the Lord comes on one of the guys who works in the temple who's connected to the Lord, who serves God, comes on one of those guys who's connected. Come on now, he's a church guy. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Listen, everybody, God's about to say something about your situation. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged because of this vast army. Now that, for some of you, you just need to hear right now in your worry, the spirit of the Lord says, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Don't go to fear. And don't go to discouragement. Verse uh, 15, where am I at? For the battle isn't yours, but God's. <laughs> Do you believe the battle is the Lord's? Tomorrow, he says, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Z's and you'll find them at the end of the gorge at the desert of Jeriel. And you will not have to fight this battle. 
Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Second key. Second key to dealing with worry is you got to listen to the word of the Lord. You got to pray. You got to position yourself. You got you to wait on God. And once you wait on God, you got to listen to God's word. How does he do that? Well, we saw in this passage, we saw prophecy. We saw prophecy. Now, we get worried and nervous about prophecy. Something's going to get funky and weird. But the short version of what prophecy is, it's when people speak about the past, the present, and the future from God's perspective. They talk about the past, they talk about the present, or they talk about the future, but they talk about it from God's perspective. It always lines up with the Bible, and Scripture tells us it's only helpful if it's done in love. So someone says something about your past, present, or future, and they're like, that's God's perspective, and it's not done in love, just disregard. Clinging symbol. Ching. All right? Someone... It's a gift. Some of you are like, oh, I'm not sure how I feel about prophecy. I know this. The Bible's really clear in Acts and in Joel. It tells us that in the last days, he's gonna pour out a spirit on all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. And so God's gonna be busy talking to his people. Why can't he talk to his people? Well, they've been waiting on him. They've been fasting. They've come to a position of listening and positioning themselves. And so then God raises up someone and says, hey, here's the deal with your current situation. Here's what's going on. How else do we hear from the word of the Lord? Um, we get into the word of God, the Bible. I don't know how many times I have to point this out, but there's good stuff in here. And my favorite analogy is it's simply as if, imagine your father was a king and wealthy and had all the provision that could ever be provided and he left you his will and says, you read the will and you can have whatever's in the will and you're like, eh, I'm not really interested in reading that. I'll wait till Sunday and someone can tell me about it. How absurd would that be to miss out on that? And so we miss out on it. We miss out on the promises. And we miss out on what God said because we don't read them. And then lastly, I mean, we could get together with the living word and spend time with Jesus. We can spend time in relationship with him. The scripture says, behold, I stand at the door and knock because he's kind that way. He says, if anyone hears my voice and lets me in, I'll come and dine with him. And Jesus is saying, I'd love to spend time with you. I'd love for you in prayer to invite me in and allow me to speak to your heart. So listening to the word of God gives them the strategy. They're worried. They got a reason to be worried. They position themselves. They listen to God. And they get a horrible strategy. There's three armies waiting just destroy them. They can see the campfires. They can hear the volume of the enemy. And the man of God stands up, the prophet, and says, okay, you're not gonna have to fight this battle. You guys march out there. Remember, the wives and kids and little ones are all there. This is not going to go well. They are not prepared to fight. Yet he says, go over there and see what the Lord does. He doesn't say retreat and let the Lord take care of stuff. He goes, you go to that spot where they are and see what the Lord does. So how does Jehoshaphat respond? Verse 18. We're almost there. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. That's awesome. If you haven't put your face to the ground before the Lord in a long time, I don't, I'm just saying. He says, all right. And all the people in Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord of God of Israel with a very loud voice. I love this. Sometimes in the middle of our stress and worry, God starts giving us some, something, he starts speaking to our lives, and we just gotta get loud. And so I'm sorry if someone's around, but I just gotta, Jesus! Ah, so frustrated. But I know you're in this, so I'm praising you. And it like comes from the belly. Sometimes we just got to declare it like, ah, thanks. This was tough, but I'm going to trust you. I got to say it loud, even through clenched teeth, if I'm uh, trying to get there. It says they prayed the Lord, the God of Israel. They praised him. 
And then look at this. Look at what happened. This is fascinating. Verse 20. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. So they start going out there. Remember, it's the wives, the husbands, the children, the little ones. They're all headed out there. There's three armies that have come together. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hey, listen to me. Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. Verse 21, after consulting with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to what? Sing. Wait, what? After consulting with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now, this is fascinating. Of all the military strategies you could possibly have, we're gonna bring our wives, our kids, our little ones, and we're gonna go face this army, three armies large, and here's our strategy. We're gonna send the worship team to the front because those guys will put fear in them. <laughs> Sorry, worship team, you guys are all tough. <laughs> but that's not the strategy. It's not, he didn't send scouts he didn't send some spies to go check it out. He didn't send some fighting men. Like, I'm seriously, I'm reading this passage and I'm thinking, where are like the 300, the tough guys that can just lock down a valley and make sure everybody else is safe? Like, where's the final stand of guys that are ready? And that's not the strategy that he goes with. He says, God says, I'm not gonna have to fight. So if I'm not gonna have to fight, even though I'm worried, the answer to my worry is we're gonna send in the worshipers. Verse 22, look what happens. As they begin to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes. Who set ambushes? The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men of Seir and destroyed them and annihilated them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. What happens? The worship team starts singing and they're saying, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And then they could hear over the hills, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And they hear this and they go, fights on. And they look around. Now these guys aren't friends. They just came together to wipe out Judah. And they're like, that must be the guy. And they start fighting each other. And these three armies hearing this, this cacophony of praise in the midst of that, assume the fight must be on. And says, the Lord set ambushes for them and they begin destroying each other. They totally wipe out Seir and the Edomites first. And then they're like, and I don't like you either. And they just fight until everyone's done. It's fascinating. You see, the third key when we're worried is we got to worship the Lord. See, worship's all about point of focus and point of adoration. And worry is the thing that wants to become your point of focus. It wants, it's contending for that spot, that first place in your mind and in your heart. And worship is all about who's first. How do we do that? Well, we make God the focus. We focus on him. Worship works because we focus on God. What worship does is it takes our focus and says, my focus has been here. Come on, you know you've experienced that. You showed up at church and your focus was all over the place. Worship's going, you're like, oh, I'm focused on a bunch of things. And then all of a sudden something hits and you're like, oh, I forgot. In this moment, I'm here to focus on God. And it recalibrates you. You focus on him. What else does it does? It just tells him that you love him. Give thanks to the Lord. He's got love for you, God. And finally, that you trust him. Worship reminds us that we trust him, that we love him. <laughs> so look what happens at the end of the story. We're almost done. We're gonna land a plane here in just a second. It says, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert. So they haven't got around the corner yet. They're still around the corner praising. The worship team's in the front. The women and children are in the mix. They're just kind of marching out like, oh my God, I don't know what's gonna happen. We hear some stuff. Hopefully that's not for us. They get around the corner at this vast army, and it says, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men, they went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, and it was more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. I want you to think about that because they're all there. They got the whole crew with them. 
and what they expected, come on, my worst case scenario, people, what they were worried about, God so took care of that not only was it not something that they needed to worry about, it actually became provision for them. And some of the things we've been battling and worrying about, God's trying to create provision for us, but we just won't handle worry the right way. And so he can't create the provision. We keep aligning our own resources and we keep running out into the front when the worship's supposed to go front and we're wearing our robe thinking that we're something and they're trying to kill us and we thought we did something good. So how do you defeat worry? Paul says this way in Philippians. He says, well, don't worry about things. Philippians chapter four. Don't worry about anything. Instead, by prayer, and uh, instead pray about everything. It's a different version. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace. And that exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds, the two places worries trying to get a hold of as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts, again, your mind, on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And keep putting into practice what you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. See, what's the antidote to worry? What's the antidote? The antidote is wait on the Lord, listen to the word, and worship. Some of you are like, I don't know what's the process of, well, this is, this is the picture that the scriptures tell us. This is the path that Jehoshaphat walked down. He said, you got to wait on the Lord, listen to the word, and worship. So let me ask you this. Where are you on the worry scale? Are you struggling with worry? Does worry have a hold in your heart and your life? Do you understand why Jesus is trying to work on that? Because it's something that's coming after your mind. Are you in the, well, sometimes I get up caught up in worry, but sometimes I don't. How about this? Are you like Jehoshaphat in the early days? I don't worry because I got this. That's the trap I fall into all the time. I'm not worried. I got this. I'm sure God will be with me if I just keep working harder, if I just run faster, if I just make more moves. Or are you just in the, I don't worry because he's got me. Would you stand with me for just a minute? I think there's this thing that happens in us that sources worry in us. It's one of the sources of worry in us. And it's this idea that we just realized that we can't do it all on our own. And so we start worrying. And we're like, but you don't understand. I, I can't do it. I don't have the skills. I don't have the means. I don't have the resources. And that's why Jesus is like, that's why I don't want you to worry because you can't do anything about that part. That's the God part. That's the part my heavenly father knows that you need. And if he takes care of, come on now, if he takes care of the birds, if he takes care of the lilies, he's gonna take care of you. And so the answer to worry, come on now, is worship. Is worship. Put your focus and give your heart to the Lord. And when he sent the worshipers out, come on now, the thing he was worried about turned into provision for his life. So here's the thing that's hard for us to do. It's hard for us to be honest and just say, all right, God, in this moment, I'm gonna put my trust and my hope in you and the thing that I'm worried about. So we're gonna take a moment. And I don't believe it's more spiritual to close your eyes. I just think it's helpful to close your eyes because then nobody's looking around and you're not distracted. So if you would, for just a moment, close your eyes. And I just want to invite you for just a moment, whatever, like, like for some of you, since I just said the word worry, you've been thinking about just one thing the whole time. <laughs> and if that's you, or if you've been battling worry, if worry has had a hold on you, we're going we're gonna to give that to the Lord in worship right here. So I want to just invite you. Nobody's looking around. Would you just lift a hand and say, yeah, that's me. I, I, I've wrestled with worry. I've been battling with worry. Worry's had a hold on me. Yeah. And you could leave that hand up and we're gonna, we're gonna just turn to the Lord and worship. Would you lift your voices with me, God? I just pray in the name of Jesus as, as, as Lord, you break the chains of worry in our lives. Would you just right now in this moment, would you take that worry as we just transition into worship and would you do what only you could do? Provide supernaturally, provide prophetically, provide through your word, provide truth and bring healing and restoration as we declare who you are, as we believe it, not just with our minds, but in our hearts, we give it to you in the name of Jesus, I pray. Lift your voice. You know, we're <clears throat> worshiping and dealing with worry and I just, I got a picture and I'm gonna just share it because I think it's for somebody in here. 
There's a parable in Matthew chapter 13, and, and Jesus talks about uh, a sower sowing seed. It's not the parable of the sower, it's the parable of the weeds. And he says that, that this seed gets sown, and it's good. And in the night, the enemy sneaks in and sows some weeds in there. And so when it sprouts up, they don't know what to do because there's what God intended and there's something that's good and there's healthy. And then there's something combating for life in it that is unhealthy, that is wicked, that is not producing life. And the servants come together and they don't know what to do. Like, do we try to pull it out? And the master says, no, don't try to pull it out. If you pull it out, you're gonna kill everything. So we'll wait and we'll let them grow together. And when they get fully grown, there'll be a time when we separate. And that's when what was good will be basically glorified and what was not will be out. Now, why do I share that with you? Because I feel like for, for some of you in the room, maybe just for one of you in the room, it, part of your frustration and worry has had to do with a, just a sense of, God, why are you letting this unjust thing go on? Why haven't you just dealt with it now? Why haven't you just plucked it? Why haven't you just like lightning bolted that individual thing? And you're frustrated, just like, the, the, when they heard this story, they were frustrated. They're like, we don't get it, Jesus. Help, help me understand. And he's trying to articulate, if I went in and did all the weeding right now, the destruction in its wake would devastate what's good. And so, it, and so because it's been contaminated, because that's in there, it's gonna be allowed to grow. But there's gonna come a sifting time. So don't worry, God's just. And he's gonna deal with what he needs to deal with. So you stay focused and it's not your job, you need to hear me, to go out and go weeding. That's his job. Your job is to grow and produce fruit and be healthy and be a reflection of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You be who God's called you to be and you don't focus your energy on plucking every weed that doesn't look like it's supposed, like you think it's supposed to look. You're like, but it's in my field. You know what? It's okay. Because God's just and he's got this. And I don't know how else to tell you this, but he doesn't need your help, all right? He's got this. He doesn't need your help, so you be who God designed you to be, and you produce the fruit God designed you to produce, and you stop worrying and stop being stuck because of the frustration and even the anger that comes out in the midst of that, and you trust God. Come on, you might need to divide, deny your flesh a little bit for a season here to recalibrate yourself, and you wait. When you wanna make moves, you wait, then you listen to the word of God. That's what I just gave you, all right? That's the truth about your circumstance right now from God's perspective. And then you find a way to stop focusing on that and to put your focus back on God and you worship. And that's where freedom will come, where victory will come, where release will come, where your mind and your heart will be free. And that's what God wants for you. So God, I just pray you would take the truth of your word. You would seal it up in the hearts that need to receive it. I pray that this truth about removing worry from our lives, that, that you're like, just knock it off. Don't do that. Don't give the enemy that foothold, that real estate in your brain and in your heart and in your life. So we don't do that. And God, I pray for a church, a body of believers who would so radically trust you that worry would not have space. And I pray that that would be so attractive that people would see that and go, how, how do you do that? And we'd be able to invite them into your story, into their destiny, into the plans you have for them. Why? Because we just didn't get stuck focusing on the weeds. Come on now. We just produced what you called us to produce. I thank you for a church that's coming that's rising up in this community full of faithful believers who believe that you can do something and that you've called us for such a time as this to make an uh, impact, that it's not hopeless, that the problems are not bigger, come on now, than the resource of the kingdom of heaven. And so when we access those resources, it changes our perspective, it changes our worldview. And from that vantage point, there's nothing God could not do. We give you the glory and we praise you in Jesus' name.